Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to week number two of our series, Rediscover Church. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about um, a very central part of what it means to be a church, and it's something everyone applauds. It's something uh, a church cannot truly be a church without, but it is also something that many, many people avoid. It's humble service. Humble service. And even though we follow Jesus the Christ, Jesus who we know is the Son of God, Jesus who created the entire universe, we know that this Jesus came to our planet as a servant. He came as a servant and he calls his followers to serve. To be a Christ follower is to be a servant. It's not an option, it's not an add on. The Bible makes this clear in so many places. The Bible tells us things like this. The Bible says you were created to serve. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Bible also says you were saved to serve. 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20 says you do not belong to yourself, For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. The Bible also says you are commanded to serve. In Galatians 5.13, Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And this is all kind of summed up in the reason that Jesus himself gives for his coming to our planet. This is Mark 10, 45. Jesus says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus himself says, I came to serve, I came to give. And those two verbs, they should define our lives on earth as as well. About 20 years ago, Jim Collins published Good to Great, which became a runaway bestseller. It has sold over 4 million copies. Many of you have read it. And if you haven't, Collins studies in this book businesses that went from good to great. And he asked the questions why, and he asked the question how. And his book unearthed many uh, helpful principles. And in one section, he studied the leaders of these businesses. He called these leaders level five Leaders. He described them as leaders marked by humility plus will. And he was surprised to discover that many of these CEOs, these are multinational corporations, sometimes Fortune 500 corporations, he discovered that many of them were quiet, mild-mannered, even shy. He said they were this paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional Will. He said they were modest yet willful. They were humble and yet fearless. Collins observed that these leaders talked often about the contributions that others made, that their dreams and their goals were first and foremost about their businesses, that they never wanted themselves to become larger than life heroes. And when you ask them things about themselves, they'd often say things like, well, I hope I'm not talking like a big shot. Collins concluded that great leaders are humble leaders. And I read that and I thought, hmm, I believe I've heard that somewhere before. (laughs) And it's all through the Bible, of course. 
We're going to be in Mark's gospel today, Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. And this is actually just one of many passages in the Bible that that talk on humble service. And in this passage, Jesus is teaching his disciples. They're the future leaders of the church. And he teaches them that the path to true greatness is always through humble service. He says, if you want to get high, get low. If you want to be great, be a servant. And that's what we need to learn, I believe, if we are to rediscover church. See, true Christ followers are never just spectators in the church, but always servants. Being the church isn't just about listening to sermons. It's about serving. See, at its heart, following Jesus is about humble service. There's a very familiar story in John's Gospel, the 13th chapter, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. You know the story, and in this this story, he tells them this. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, we're not greater than our master, amen? He served, and it is for us a privilege to serve Jesus and his people. I mean, we should be in hell today, and we're not. We have been forgiven and cleansed and redeemed. We have a forever home in heaven and the only appropriate response to the grace of God in our lives is glad service to Jesus and to his people. Now, this story of Jesus washing feet is not in the other gospels. It's not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. These are called the synoptic gospels. Uh, But those gospels have many other accounts where Jesus teaches about humble service. And what we discover as we read the Gospels is that time after time after time, Jesus teaches about humble service to his disciples. And we also see that time after time after time, they just don't get it. In Mark chapter 8 through 10, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection three different times. And every time, the disciples' focus in response is on status and on privilege, on on how they will benefit when Jesus comes and begins to reign as Messiah. Now, I want you to see the flow of these three uh, chapters, these three episodes, before we dive into Mark chapter nine. In, In Mark eight, the first time Jesus predicts his death and resurrection, it comes right after he has asked his disciples that important question, who do people say that I am? And of course, Peter gets it right, and he says, you are the Christ. And then Jesus responds and tells the disciples what kind of Christ he is. And in Mark 8, 31, he he tells them that he will be rejected, and he will be killed, and after three days, he will rise again. And then in verse 32, Mark says that Jesus spoke plainly about this, but Peter took him aside and rebuked him. Can we all agree that it's, never a good idea to try and rebuke Jesus. And Jesus responds in verses 33 and 34. Mark writes, but when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. 
Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, Peter got it right. Jesus is the Messiah, but what Peter did not understand is that Jesus' followers will be marked like Jesus by sacrifice and serving and suffering and, and that the glory would only come later. Now, we can kind of sympathize with Peter because the idea, really, that a Messiah would come and die on a cross was a very strange idea. Messiahs win, right? It seems to be inherent in the meaning of the term. That's, that's the very heart of being a Messiah. You're, you're a winner. And I was, thinking, I was thinking this week, you know, baseball lockout ended not too long ago. And, and so all kinds of players, if you're a baseball fan, you know this. They've been uh, signing with all kinds of different teams. It's happening every day. I'm getting notifications on my phone. And all these guys are getting, you know, contracts for hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, you would not expect a team to pay someone ridiculous amount of money, a couple hundred million dollars, and then at the first press conference where he puts the team hat on, and, you know, and then have him say, you know, I've come here and, and I, I look forward to helping my team gracefully lose a lot of games this year. That's not how it goes. Jesus says, I'm the Messiah and I'm gonna die. And Peter says, that can't be. Messiahs win. And Jesus did win, just not like anyone thought. To uh, paraphrase one of the Batman movies, because I'm always trying to add culture to our, our services, Jesus was not the Messiah they were hoping for, but he was the Messiah they needed. How do we follow this Messiah? Well, it's real simple. We do what he did, right? By taking up our cross, by killing our convenience and our self-absorption, and by humbly serving. Now that's the first time. The third time, Mark 10, is the, the incident where Jesus for a third time uh, predicts his death and resurrection. We see this in verses 32 to 34. And what do we see the disciples uh, talking about in response to what Jesus has said for the third time when he tells them he's going to suffer and he's going to die and he's gonna rise from the dead? Well, they, they have an argument about who gets to sit on the thrones next to Jesus. This is what Mark writes, verses 42 to 45 of chapter 10. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Again, this important verse for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and again Jesus does what he always does he just turns everything upside down right he says all your ideas of greatness are wrong they want seats of glory and he says the glory is in the service see the disciples they're just thinking about themselves, about their own personal glory. They have yet to learn that the rewards of discipleship only come as a result of dying to self, just like Jesus did, just like Jesus gave his life on the cross. See, the bottom line is very clear. The way of faithful discipleship involves humble service. 
And we should not, as followers of Jesus, be driven by a desire for personal recognition and glory. We should never view a task as being beneath us. Why? Even the Son of Man came to serve. Now that brings us to Mark 9, our text for today, verses 33 to 37. This is the second time Jesus predicted his death. And here's what Mark writes. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Five verses. There are three truths I want you to see about humble service. Here's the first one. You can write these down in your app, wherever you're taking notes. Humble service leads to true greatness. Or in other words, in these verses, verses 33 to 35 in particular, Jesus exalts humble service. Look again, verse 33 says, they came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Now, in Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus does lots of teaching in a home, and this is probably Peter's home. In verses 30 to 32, if you look at the context, he has just predicted his death and his resurrection again. And again, they didn't understand what Jesus meant. And Mark says they were afraid to ask him. But notice, they weren't afraid to get in an argument about something. And so Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about? Verse 34 says, but they kept quiet. Why? Because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. They're kind of like your kids when they're in trouble, right? Has that ever happened in your house? They're doing something they shouldn't do. They just said some things they shouldn't have said. And you call them on it. You ask them, what are you doing? What did you say? And it gets real quiet. Maybe if you have certain kind of kids with certain personality, they just they look down at the ground. They, they, they don't want to answer And the disciples are quiet because they know they shouldn't have been talking about this. And so do we, yet we still do it all the time, don't we? I mean, you can kind of imagine their discussions. You know, Peter always talking first, so, you know, the subject comes up. Who do you think is the best disciple? Peter says, well, you know, guys, I I did walk on water. And Thomas says, like, yeah, for one step, big deal. And then maybe James and John say, well, Jesus named us the sons of thunder. Andrew says, Jesus only said that because you guys have anger issues. And then maybe John says, you know, I am the beloved disciple. I am the one Jesus loves. Or maybe Simon, the, the zealot, he said, well, guys, I've been doing CrossFit. I'm a cage fighter. I can crush all of you. Or maybe Matthew, the tax collector, says, I'm the smartest one here. I have a 4.0. I'm a Microsoft Excel wizard. And Thomas says, whatever. Good old Thomas. You can just imagine them all arguing with all their different reasons. Who's the the goat? And this was was a very common thing uh, in their honor and shame culture. We, We know of a lot of ancient Jewish writings 
about things like the, the seating order in paradise, how, how the just are actually gonna end up sitting closer to God's throne and even the angels. They had these ancient documents about seating placements in worship, you know? Like, I guess back then people actually wanted to sit on the front rows. You know, they're actually free. Um, don't cost more to sit up here. But they wanted to, they wanted to be in certain places, uh, you know, in worship. They wanted to be in certain places at the tables. You know, there were, there were all these rules of how you conduct yourself with superiors or inferiors. The disciples, they just, they grew up in this world of rank and placement and self-importance. And, and, and what they're trying to do is merge the culture with what it means to follow Jesus. But Jesus just keeps crushing that idea. On top of that, their messianic hopes are just sky high right now. They think the Messiah is coming as a military leader. He's gonna be this great political liberator. And if that's Jesus, which they believe it is, it's gonna mean great things for them. And so they're just all focused on what's Jesus gonna do in Jerusalem. And, and how's he going to overthrow Rome? And, and how will he defeat our enemies? And, and what kind of spoils are we gonna get to enjoy? What kind of accolades and titles are going to be ours? And Jesus just takes all of that and he turns it on its head. Notice again in verse 35, notice that Jesus does not tell them they shouldn't pursue greatness. He, he doesn't say to them, hey, chill out, just take it easy all the time. He tells them, really, it's okay to pursue greatness, just pursue it the right way. Verse 35 says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. You can want to be first. It's okay. You, you want to be first? You can want to be first. You just have to be a servant. If you want to be great, you just have to be a slave. See, he's, he's not telling them they shouldn't pursue greatness. He simply redefines what greatness is. And what is it? Well, it's being great in the things that matter to God. It's being great in the things that, that please God. One, one commentator on the Gospel of Mark says, nothing is greater in God's eyes than giving. And no vocation affords opportunity to give more than that of a servant. You know, it really is true. Everybody has opportunity to be great in God's kingdom because everyone can serve. Why don't you say everyone? Everyone can serve. I wonder if you've seen any examples of greatness lately. It could look like a lot of things. It could look like the teenager who honors his or her parents and cares for maybe younger brothers and sisters, even those that require special attention. It could be maybe like a single woman in the church who just radiates this contagious Christian joy, who cheerfully serves numerous families all across the church. It could be like the successful businessman who serves on the parking lot team or with the Levite ministry. It, it looks like the first responders who stand ready every Sunday to protect the Southman's family and who do all kinds of unnoticed service week after week after week. It, it looks like the dozens and dozens of people at Southman's who volunteer for disaster relief, just like you've heard earlier, who in 2021, did you catch this? Gave 118 days of service, who, who gave over 2,400 hours of service all away from home in uncomfortable, unpleasant environments just to help people 
in desperate need to show them the love of Christ. It just looks like busy people from all walks of life who take even more time out of their lives to volunteer in guest services or maybe across the courtyard right now to teach children in kids' space or maybe all the way at the other side of the campus to volunteer with students on Wednesdays. It it looks like, like those who quietly and consistently give their tithes and offering, foregoing, purchasing other things they might want so that they might support the advancement of God's kingdom. It looks like something just as simple as on a Sunday welcoming new people into the church. In other words, I could keep going, but I want you to understand there is no shortage of opportunities to serve God. And if we don't serve, the problem is not in, uh, with opportunity. The problem is in our hearts. We need to deal with the self-absorption in our hearts self-absorbed people just think about themselves. And it's kind of an interesting thing. Maybe you've noticed this. We don't have to be taught to do that. It's just in our nature. We, we, we come hardwired for that. For example, I can say with great confidence that not one of you parents has ever said to one of your children, you better listen to me right now and stop sharing with your sister. Quit being so unselfish, buddy. Listen to me. Start thinking of yourself for a change, right? Anybody here ever had to tell their children that? I just wanna check and see if that has ever happened and the record continues. It's never happened and I'm telling you, it never will happen because we are all born hardwired to think of ourselves first. But might I also point out that selfishness Self-absorption is a miserable way to live. We are are called to be Christ-centered and called to be focused on serving others. And we we do that because it is the best way to live. I think all of us need a a strong dose of Philippians chapter two, verses three and four every day. Uh, Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And you know, the only way we can do that is by applying the gospel to our hearts, like we talked about in our last series on gospel. Because it is only the gospel that can free us from our addiction to ourselves. See, we, we also have to apply Mark 10, 45. Let me read it again. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even Jesus did that. Do you think you should as well? You know, some people don't serve because they're critics. They like to stand on the sidelines. It's easy to stand on the sidelines, fold your arms and observe and point out all the mistakes and just be critical of everything. It's easy to look and see and find the the failures of other people. And you can be a critic. And I've known some people who seem to think that criticism is their spiritual gift. But I wanna tell you, it's a miserable way to live. It's also a failure in itself to see so many good things that so many faithful people are doing in church all the time. You know, we we live in a time 
I, I, I hope you're aware of it. We live in a time of, of, of great bitterness and cynicism in our culture. And in some ways, there's some good things about this. We, we live in a time where, where so much of that has been hidden, so much scandal, so much sin. It just keeps getting uncovered. It's happening in our culture. It's happening in the church. And, and I am confident that God is doing this, that he is exposing sin. He's a holy God. But I wanna say this, as it happens... We should be careful that we don't start thinking that that's all that's out there, hypocrisy. Because despite all of the failures we hear about, I wanna tell you there are still far more people, vast numbers of people who continue to quietly serve day in, day out, week after week, year after year. There's far more of that. Jesus, he just keeps pressing the point to his disciples that needs to be pressed to us that we're called to humbly serve. Again, in verse 35, we read that Jesus sat down with the 12. This is a, a detail you could easily pass over, but it tells us something important in the culture of that day. To sit down was the, was the normal way that a teacher spoke with authority. See, so it's kind of like this. I have to stand up and you guys get to sit down, probably because you're selfish or something, I don't know. But in Jesus' day, the teachers sat and the listeners, you know, they, they stood around. But here's the thing you need to not miss. This was an indication that Jesus was saying something important, that he was speaking with authority. And he goes on to say, if anyone will be first, he must be last. He must be servant, last of all, servant of all. That the word servant is the Greek word diakonos, it's the word from which we get our word deacon, it's used about waiting tables. And the idea in this word is that there's personal devotion involved. It's, it's not what a, uh, the kind of service a slave would do or a hired servant would do. It's one who is serving out of love and who is serving out of devotion. And again, in their culture, this kind of service was viewed as undignified, unworthy of important people. But in Christianity, this is the kind of service that flows out of love. It flows out of a love for God and neighbor. In, in the church, it flows out of a love for brothers and sisters. Why don't you just look across this room right now? Do you love the people in this room? Jesus calls you to love your brothers and sisters. And the more we love them, the, the easier it is for us to serve them. This is just basic discipleship 101. It's about being faithful servants. And again, you know, Jesus promises that one day, it's coming this day, all of us are gonna stand before him and we want him to say on that last day those words, well done, good and faithful, what? Servant. Do you wanna be great? Jesus says, then serve. It's the way to true greatness. And I wanna say, you know, with all of the weaknesses that we have at Southwinds, we're not a perfect people, I am so grateful that we have so many people who are faithful servants. And so this text calls us to just do it all the more by God's grace, for God's glory, for a, a human flourishing. We serve, we serve humbly. Second, humble service is always countercultural. Just not the way it is in the world. Have you noticed that? 
Uh, I was reading some interesting things about uh, the way it is in the animal kingdom this week. And there's a thing that we all know about. We use the phrase from time to time, even if we don't know about animals. It's called the pecking order, right? We all know what a pecking order is, um, even if we don't know anything about chickens. And if you've never heard of this, well, in the chicken pen, there is no peace, there is no quiet until the chickens, all of them, find out who's the greatest and who's the least. And it kind of works like this. The top chicken uh, eats first, and, and he can peck on any chicken he chooses, and the middle chickens are pecked on by the chickens above them, and they can peck on the chickens below them. The bottom chicken gets pecked on by everybody. It's just the way life is in the pecking order. And it's kind of, it's kind of ironic that there's, though there's been a lot of research done on this, nobody knows, nobody knows what makes a chicken dominant. Why is, why is one chicken high and another chicken low? Nobody knows. And then there's also lots of other animals who have similar kind of arrangements. I read about an interesting one of them this week. Um, it's about orangutans. I, I don't know if you've heard this before, but actually orangutans have their own kind of pecking order and, it, and it's based on something very interesting. If you're an orangutan, uh, part of your, your backside is blue. And the way it works is the orangutans with the bluest backsides are at the top of the heap. Kind of an interesting way to decide who's in charge and who's not. But researchers studying this decided that they would do something. They took this orangutan that was like at the very bottom of, of the ladder in one community of orangutans and they, they, they painted that area of that orangutan's body like royal blue. And all of a sudden, he became the number one orangutan. All the other males started deferring to him. He got all the dates he wanted. Um, and then came some bad news because over time, his blue paint started to fade. And he started down the long trip, down the ladder, in orangutan land, and he ended up one neurotic orangutan. Pretty silly system, right? Richard Foster, the author, writes, how like chickens we are with our pecking orders. See, this is the way it is in the kingdoms of this world, but Jesus says it's not like this in my kingdom. Our culture is always focused on who's the goat, who's the greatest. It's never about who's the greatest servant. Now, in verses 36 and 37, Jesus demonstrates humble service. He says, this is what it, it looks like. And, and he's kind of just enacting the truth that he's always set forth. Look at verses 36 and 7 again. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now, this is a, a wonderful picture of Jesus just taking this little child in his arms, and what he's doing is demonstrating humble service. And what he's teaching here is this, that we are not to overlook people that we deem insignificant, but we are to welcome them. We are to care for them. As Jesus takes this child in his arms, it's his way of saying, care for the least of these. Don't overlook those that society overlooks. No one is beneath you. Stop worrying about status and position. 
Start taking on unnoticed tasks. Start welcoming unnoticed, insignificant people in the eyes of the world and do it in my name, Jesus says. Don't worry about being the greatest. Be concerned about caring for the least. Now, Jesus uses, and this might confuse us as we first read this, he uses children as an example in different ways in the gospel. And the most familiar way, I think, is when he he points to a child and he uses that child as an example of childlike faith. But that's not his point here. His point here is that children were seen as insignificant in the Greco-Roman world. He's not here saying be like children. He's here saying we should welcome children. We should embrace children. It's a picture of humble service. And it was very countercultural. In the Roman world, children, they did not dictate their parents' calendars as so many of them do today. In that world, there was no Disney or Pixar or Chuck E. Cheese or all the other mega million dollar businesses and corporations and entertainment groups that, that cater you know, to children. Now, if you move to Jewish culture then, children had more value than in Roman culture, but they were still seen as having very little status. They were illustrations of the very least, and Jesus here says, serve them. Now, This is actually consistent with what Jesus says in other places like Matthew 25 where he mentions caring for the thirsty, the lonely, the naked, the sick, the the imprisoned. He says this is the way to be significant. You care for those the world sees as insignificant. And today, the the list of who this would be uh, about how we could live this out is a very long list. The, The poor, the orphan, the widowed, the sick, the dying, the hungry, the imprisoned, the abused, the enslaved, the preborn. You know, those of you who are here right now and your students, what Jesus is talking about, this looks like befriending the person that everyone else shuns in your school. Now to drill down, I think a little deeper here, this, this passage really puts the focus on children in particular. And you know, we have a lot of them at Southwinds. It's, it's a great thing. We love our kids. And one of the things this means is that we here at Southwinds have so many opportunities to just live out this passage. And it really is a countercultural idea to love and value all children. And it's been this way from the beginning. The church has always stood out you know, you don't have to read very long back in Jesus' day to see examples of how children were treated. You can go to the second chapter of Matthew, the first gospel, the first book in the New Testament, and Herod's killing babies. Just a picture of what Pharaoh did back in Exodus. And in the first century, historians tell us that Romans would commonly place unwanted children on trash heaps outside their homes. And there were people who would go by and see these children, and sometimes people would pick them up, but they were, they were taking them so that they could raise them as slaves or prostitutes, sometimes as gladiators. And, and Christians, by contrast, were known for taking those children in, not to raise and profit from, but to love and care for. Do you want to be great, significant? Then do something for the little ones. 
And I want to say something about this today that, that, that may not strike you at first. I, I believe that despite our culture's idolatry of children, and we really do have a, a problem with that, despite that, our contemporary view of children in the end is not that much different than the Roman view. And here's what I'm saying. For so many people, valuing children in the end ultimately is just a way of valuing and validating themselves. It's not about the kids. They want their kids to succeed so that they can see, be seen as being successful. See, in so many ways still, so many ways still in our society, children are seen as disposable, as being an inconvenience, but that is not the way of Christ. And there are so many ways we can serve children. Some of you are doing this. You're doing it courageously, sacrificially serving in the foster care system. Some of you have adopted children or you're in the process of adoption even right now. Others of you, you you give so much of your life to serve children with special needs. Some of you serve here at church. You do it on Sundays or maybe throughout the week with children here at Southwind. Some of you, you serve every single week. And some of you, I believe God is calling you right now to start serving in this way. And I can just tell you ahead of time, Pastor Chris Thielen, our children's pastor, will be so excited to talk to you. You know, we've been talking about our need uh, for people to step forward and serve for several weeks, and we need people in our kids' ministry to serve in kids' space on Sundays or in our student ministry, particularly to serve uh, at midweek. There's so many places we can serve. You know, one of the characteristics, I think, of a healthy church is, is people who love and care for children. And I think it's a problem when, when one has to beg people to serve kids. I don't think Jesus would want that in his body. So what we see here is Jesus, you know, first of all, he exalts, he lifts high, humble service. And then secondly, he demonstrates the countercultural nature of service. And then finally, thirdly, humble service in Jesus' name is the way to real blessing. Jesus tells us this, and what he's really doing here is he's giving us a motivation to do humble service. Look again at verse 37. It says, Jesus says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now think about that. Do you love Jesus? Of course. You say, Jesus says, well, you can show it by caring for those your culture sees as insignificant. He says, if you do that in my name, you are welcoming me and not just me, but you're welcoming the one who sent me and that is God the Father. And another way of saying that is humble service in Jesus' name is the path to real blessing. It's, it's the path, as we saw earlier, to true greatness, but it's also the path to blessing. It's the way to find the life that is, is truly life. I mean, think about it. Just doing a simple act of service in Jesus' name, in obedience to Jesus, in honor of Jesus, as unto Jesus. You, you welcome me, he says, and that means you are entering into fellowship, sweet fellowship with me, and you're receiving the Father who sent me do you realize what Jesus is saying? Whenever you serve, however you serve, every time you serve, it is drawing you closer to God. And he is the source of the life that is truly life. That would be a great thing to think about next time you're doing 
some menial task of service. You probably, that probably won't occur to you, right? You probably won't feel it. But you can, by faith, believe it. You can, by faith, enter into that, serve, knowing that you're drawing closer to Jesus. And I'm confident that as you do that, the more you do that, the more you will discover that you sense that closeness to him. It is the path of blessing. We serve because we love Christ and we know that blessing comes from serving in his name. And I I think to do that, part of what we have to do is is to stop playing the games that we play about service. And, And I'll tell you, I know these games because I'm pretty good at them. I've played them many times. You say, what are you talking about? Well, there's the time game, for example. You you talk to someone about serving and sometimes they'll say, you know, well, I'll serve Christ one day. Sometimes they'll say, well, and and by the way, this is the number one reason why people give pastors that they can't serve. You wanna guess what it is? They say, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. And what I really wanna say, I don't say, because I'm a gracious person. What I really want to say is you're too busy for Jesus. Okay, I understand. But we all play this game. We all all have reasons why we can't do something. And I know, of course, there are times uh, and, and, and places where people are hurt and wounded and they maybe need some space to heal and, and be restored. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the normal uh, uh, flow of life that most of us spend most of our time in. We say we follow Christ and yet time after time after time we excuse ourselves from serving Christ in his church. Maybe we shouldn't play the time game. I love what Paul says in Romans 12, 11. He says, do not be slothful in zeal. You tell, tell one of your kids that this week. Stop being slothful. They'll love you for saying that. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You know, a lot of us joke about first world problems, right? We all know what first world problems are. And, and, and this is because we, we truly live in so much privilege. I really think that we should always be asking ourselves this question in this culture in which we live. Here's the question. Are you ready? The question is, do I love comfort too much? Has comfort caused me to avoid service to Jesus and to others? There's another game. It's called the comparison game. The comparison game, and the comparison game is, well, I've done more than Bill. And you can always find someone to compare yourself with, but here's the reality. Let me remind you, I've said it already today. We are one day, every one of us, on that day, going to stand before Jesus Christ, and we're gonna give an account of our life, not someone else's. And it really won't matter on that day, I think, what Bill did as you stand before Jesus, amen? We serve Jesus, just Jesus, not in comparison to others. And this just brings us back to the heart again. You know, the truth is, we really shouldn't need to be told to serve. We should know it. It's just basic to following Jesus. But the truth also is, we all have a fallen nature. We're all sinners, amen? We all sin. And the good news is Jesus is gracious and so he gives us motivation. He tells us this is the way to be blessed. And then that that blessing that comes to our lives when we serve, it happens because we love 
Service flows out of love, a heart that is captivated by the grace of Christ. The more you love Jesus, the more you will ask, how can I serve? How can I serve? Why serve? Well, Jesus is the answer. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. As we wrap this up, I'm gonna give you four categories to think through. And uh, these are things maybe you can talk about in your life groups this week, but the categories are discipleship, membership, stewardship, and worship. It's, it's like, let's get on the ship, okay? It's discipleship, well, that's simply asking the question, am I willing to serve? Am I willing to serve? I mean, it's just basic discipleship. Let me ask you right now, do you need to put to death in your life some sin, some sin you need to repent of that is keeping you from serving? It's discipleship. It's following Jesus. Then membership. Am I serving my church family? And maybe part of this is you need to become a member. As you heard earlier, we have Discovery 101 in just two weeks, and you can come to that class. I'd encourage you to to join us. And if you're already a member, you need to ask yourself, how can I serve my church family? How can I stir up my brothers and sisters to love and good deeds? How can I bear the burden of others. And then stewardship. Am I using my time and talents and treasures to serve my church and my neighbors? This recognition that everything I have comes from God. God has given me so many things, gifts and abilities, and he didn't give me those things to build my platform or to lift up my ego. He gave me those things to build up and lift up the body of Christ to serve others. And then worship. Do I see my service as an act of worship done for Jesus Christ? The the word of God says, whatever we do in word or deed, we do it unto the name of Jesus Christ. And so let me say to us, Southwinds, let us serve the crucified, risen Christ with joy and gladness. Jesus has given us not only the example to follow, he has given us the power to serve. He's ransomed us. He's redeemed us, he's transformed us, he's freed us from condemnation through his atoning work and resurrection and he has freed us from our addiction to self. He has shown us the way by taking up the towel and washing feet, by taking up little children and caring for them, he's given us the power to serve and so we do serve, we serve as unto him and we do it knowing that one day we will see him and on that day, don't you want to hear those words from him, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you wanna hear that? And I'm telling you in that moment those words They will mean infinitely more than all of the money or all of the accolades, all of the power, all of the prestige, and all of the position that the world offers us. Jesus, he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He is the creator of all that exists and he loved us so much that he served us. He gave his life for us. He is worthy worthy of our praises. He is worthy of our offerings. He is worthy of our service. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads as we pray together? Father, as we read your word, it's so easy to identify with these disciples as much as we we may 
hate to admit it. And, and so we ask you to apply the gospel of grace to our hearts again to help us, Lord, to grow in humility, to help us see others as more important than ourselves. Lord, we ask you to help us put selfish ambition to death in our hearts, to give us holy ambition. Lord, to do something great, to serve in a way that matters to you and to your kingdom. And Jesus, we thank you for how you have served us and how you continue to serve us. Lord, you are, uh, we are told and we know and believe right now at the hand of the Father, the right hand interceding for us. And we want to shine your light in our dark world by humbly serving wherever you give us opportunity. Lord, thank you for your word which challenges us and corrects us, shows us the way we are to go. And we pray now all of these things, Father, in Jesus' good name, his strong name, and all of God's people together say,